Hi there, I'm Sean Kelly, the voice of the Gators, and welcome to Gator Tales with Sean Kelly, episode number 23. Gator Nation, it's great to be back with you. I'm back in my office at the Swamp, returning from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where last night the Gators men's basketball team lost a thriller in overtime to first place Alabama. So the Gators have now won seven of their last nine, and oh, by the way, are ranked in the AP Top 25 for the first time since December of 2021. The Gators are ranked 24th, and they will pick back up this weekend, starting at home with Vanderbilt on Saturday. Meanwhile, the busiest time of the year continues, and we'll get up to speed on what was a successful last week for the Gators. Kenna McGinnis is back this week. Her Kenna on campus will take you through the results for all the Gators teams over the past seven to ten days. Our podcast this week has two great guests. First up, we meet one of the newest football coaches on Billy Napier's staff. He's the executive head coach and new co-defensive coordinator. Ron Roberts comes to Florida from Auburn and we get our first sit down with him on today's show. And we're honored to sit down as well with Deputy Athletic Director Linda Teeler, the distinguished administrator here for the Florida Gators, is excited about an upcoming event called Stay in the Game. The Stay in the Game event is on February the 27th, and this year is their 10th event. It's an event that celebrates women in sports and is designed to expose, enlighten, and empower female student-athletes about possible future careers in the world of sports. This episode, we will also head back down to Scott Strickland's office for another episode of Ask the AD. Swamp renovations are the topic this week. I know you'll be eager, like I was, to get an update on that. And so with that, let's get started on episode number 23. Gator Tales with Sean Kelly is presented by UF Health. UF Health has locations throughout Florida, including Gainesville, Jacksonville, St. Augustine, Leesburg, and the Villages, and we're growing. Compassionate care and world-class outcomes, that's our game plan. Visit ufhealth.org to learn more. Our podcast is also brought to you by Pet Paradise. Gator fans, for pet fanatics like you, there's only one place who goes all out for your pet the way you do. Boarding, grooming, day camp, and veterinary services, all in one convenient location. Pet Paradise and New Day Veterinary Care. Finally, complete pet health care is here for Gator Nation. Well, Ron Roberts is barely on the ground in Gainesville, but long enough that he's got himself an office, and that's where we find the new executive head coach, co-defensive coordinator of the Florida Gators. I know you've been here a little bit, Coach, but um, may I say welcome to Gainesville. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Coach Billy Napier says you're the you're basically the head coach of the defense. Did he nail the title just right, or at least describe it to us perfectly? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. I wasn't sure about the title when I got it anyway. <laughs> I wasn't sure what the executive head coach actually meant, but uh, I'm excited about here uh, being with Billy and the whole program together. Coach, why Florida? Why did you come here? Uh, I was, you know, I worked with Billy before. I always had a tremendous amount of respect for him. Uh, the way he runs things, the way he treats the players, um, is his plan for development, plan across the board for everything we do. So, um, it's just uh, feel fortunate right now the opportunity to be back with him. Ron, what will feel the same as when you two were together in Lafayette, Louisiana, and what will be different now that you guys are partnered up again here at Florida? 
Uh, I think you know the, the the there's a familiarity with how he sees things and how he wants things done. Um, what is different? I think it's always different when you're dealing with it's a it's a new set of kids, it's a new set of players, and uh, you know those are always bringing the you know. Um, just different things, uh, changes on a day-to-day basis, and how you handle those situations are always going to be different. You yourself even had a puzzled look on your face when I brought up your official title. <laughs> how do you see it? I mean, when if I were to ask you in your own words to describe what your new role here is at Florida, what would you say? Um, I'm here to help. You know, I, I think uh, it's to, to make sure we play the best football we can. It's to make sure that defensively that we're on the right track and doing the best things for our players and make sure we'll put them in the best situation possible. Just your experience as a, not only a head coach but a coordinator too, which one will you lean on more, you think, in this new role? Uh, I you know, a little bit of both, you know. I don't know if we lean on one or one more than the other. You know what I mean? I think uh, you kind of really got to – uh, as a DC, and you've been in that chair, you kind of know that really, uh, you know, your job is really to keep things off the head coach's plate and keep, and make sure he feels comfortable on game day. You're making sure your your that that part of the ball is taken care of. Uh, so it's one thing that can alleviate off of his table and make him feel comfort. So uh, just want to make sure we're you know we're on track with uh, his philosophies, uh, what he wants done, and his overall big picture of the plan. Have you reached the point in your career, Coach, that you're now able to be choosy about exactly what you want to contribute to a football program? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, yeah, I think in some ways. Um, I think uh, you don't really know. I think really until you get in with people, it's like where can you contribute the most, you know what I mean? I think that's the first part was trying to get in here and, uh, you know, learn the people we had, uh, some from coaches, players, was still learning players, so it's that's, you know, and still learn the coaches, so – uh, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll go through it, and it's going to be like I've said to Austin too. It's going to be a learning process together, going going through spring, and and we'll have to be flexible. We'll have to be adjustable, and we need to, you know, we're just going to make the best decisions we can for Florida. You mentioned Austin, Austin Armstrong, and you guys will be working together so closely. Would you share more about what you two have known of each other over the years, and and how that helps you guys moving forward? Yeah. Um, well, first when we first went to Louisiana, he was my GA, uh, and then uh, worked closely together. Uh, he was the guy I really, you know, every day on the unit meeting plans and putting all that stuff together. And then uh, I think, the, you know, obviously the last, uh, whatever, five years since then, I probably talked to him weekly, you know. And um, from when he was at Georgia to back of Louisiana to Southern Miss and, you know, obviously his short stint there at Alabama, you know, I think we've always talked weekly. And so I think there's a big familiarity with how we see football and, um, you know, how we see, uh, you know, constructing the big picture of this thing. What is that fingerprint, Coach, that you guys share? You know, what's the signature Ron Roberts-type defensive characteristic? Yeah, I mean, I think, one, we're going to be multiple. You know, we're going to – why? I think you have to be multiple, one, to have the answers for people in college football nowadays. But two, you got to have them be multiple year to year just to make sure you're taking advantage of what your players do best. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't put the square peg in the round hole. You know, you got to figure out what your players can do really well and then make sure you're calling things or manipulating it to where – they're doing what they do best. Um, but I would hopefully you would see, or Florida fans would see when that we go on the field, it's we're fundamentally sound, we're well coached. Uh, we know we're going to adjust the formation, we're going to adjust everything properly, and then you're going to see our kids play with tremendous effort in getting to the football. How long will it take you to kind of figure out what you do have here, how it'll fit that multiple approach? Well, I think by the time we go through spring, I'm on, you know, we'll know where we're at and what we got to throw out and what we got to put in and, you know, what we got to tweak and, you know, how can we get. How can we get it get it there? 
Were you aware a little bit of the roster? And I know everything's such in flux with the transfer portal and everything else. When So you're leaving Auburn, you're coming to Florida. How quickly did you pick up a depth chart and start to try and figure that out? Yeah. Um, probably got some of it before I got here. Um, you know, obviously Billy shooting me as soon as we, as soon as the decision was made, was shooting me uh, uh, rosters and depth charts and where we're at and those type of thing. And then me was coming in and uh, you know I watched uh, you know all of last year. I watched all uh, broke down twelve games. Um, and then uh, they did a good job here around also having profile tapes so our players maybe they didn't play quite a bit so I could see practice cuts and see a move and see what they could do. And it was really I spent the first uh, week it was just familiarizing myself with the roster. When you looked back at what Florida put on film from last year, good or bad or indifferent, what were the things that jumped out at you most? Um, one would be I, th- I think we play uh, – I think we will strike and we will play physical up front. Um, you know, I thought uh, there was some youth. You could see it, the confusion, you know, um, guys not playing with their hair on fire. Uh, I think anytime that happens, you're going to get them to slow down a little bit. Uh, some of us due to youth. Um, and I think, and then uh, I think I saw a, a team that I think runs really well. I think we, I think we have a talent. I think we're very talented. I think we have edge rushers. I think we got kids that can run in the back end. I'm really excited about the roster. So does that make it easier in the spring? I mean, I'm, I guess what I'm trying to get at is how much of this is a complete overhaul, and how much of it is building upon, upon what was already there that you inherit yeah i i, th- I said uh, well, i think i said the first the defensive staff coming in it's you know, okay we had uh, you had a, a you know year one of, of napier it was patrick tony and year two is austin uh we can't come in and this be uh this is not year two and it's not rebuilding year this needs to be year three of florida football and, and billy napier's uh, tenure and it needs to look like that so what do we got to do to clean things up and make it easier for our players to play fast and put them in great situations to play football are you designing this defense um, in a way that you'll be calling the plays how's the how's the dynamic work say as we get toward a game day has that even been established yet no nah, we ain't, you know no not that there it's really just all about uh, uh, putting the system together and what our players can do and making sure coaches because we've got a couple you know we got you got two uh, new coaches on the side of the ball as well, and uh, and I'm excited about the coaches. I mean, I think I think we got a really good coaching staff. I'm excited about these guys we're working with, and um, and their level of ability to coach players and their passion to do it with, I think is is uh, really inspiring, and uh, I'm excited to be part of it. Ron, we mentioned some of your stops. There's Auburn, of course, Baylor, UL, Southeastern. I mean, this is a, dec- a three decade long career for you. Can you compare this situation to another experience that you've had? Does it remind you of anything? I think the, I kind of seems like all uh, when I'm new or when you know coming into a situation. I know there's a lot of familiar here staff and what they have done, but when I'm new or the new piece to the puzzle to it, or coming in into a new program, mm-hmm. um, those are all about the same. I think I always say this that anytime there's change, especially in a leadership position, the change you know change can be uh, uh, you know there's there's a hesitation with people, and it's just because of uh, it's the the process of the change. They're unsure what's going to happen and so it's my job to put them at ease to what this thing and we're going to, we're here to do you know one for our players to make this easier to make it smoother and get them to produce better
Sounds like teacher-leader combination of the two. <laughs> Which one do you enjoy doing more? I, I really enjoy the teaching part of it. I enjoy teaching the players. I mean, I'm at that age. I think right now, you know, just, I just want, you know, if you can help them all get to what their ultimate goals are, I think then you, you really done a good job. And that's all I want to do is just help them get to wherever their ultimate goals are and where they can get to. It's such seismic change in our sport in college football, yet some things are still the same. What are the most still enjoyable things to you to piggyback off of what you just said? Yeah, uh, most enjoyable is the relationship with the player. Um, seeing them go out there one day and they don't do it and you teach them something and then you see it appear and uh, to see that whole learning process you know I think that that's real enjoyable for me to be part of and you know I think that keeps you young and I think she keeps you going on a day-to-day basis are you a mentor now <laughs> it just means I'm full head of gray hair huh? <laughs> yeah yeah I guess so so who was that for you early on in your career? Yeah, I think it was a lot. There was a lot of people. So uh, I wasn't just one guy. There's, you know, I mean, um, you know, there's a lot of people. Well, I stole from a lot of people. I think in this business, what you could do, that's what it is. You you borrow from somebody, you you tweak it up and you make it your own and all of a sudden it's, it's yours. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, you want to give back in this profession because all it is like I spent whatever, 32 years of that somebody has helped me along the way all the time. And, and I'm still in that learning process. I mean, I think it's, it doesn't ever stop that. So I'm trying to learn on a day-to-day basis and, you know, how can we tweak this or tweak that? How can we make this, this better? Or can we teach it easier? How can we teach it, you know, cleaner to our players? So um, all that becomes a, a – you know, just that that's just a real enjoyable experience for me. Where do you find your work life balance now at this age, this age, stage of your career? So my kids are grown, so they're all out of the house and, and grown. Um, so the only boss I answer to is my wife. And uh, so it's probably a little more work than balance. Um, but that's, I mean, it's great. I mean, this is what I love doing. I think you've got to be consumed by it. Uh, I think the best coaches in this business are the best leaders in this, in this you know. Uh, out there have been they're consumed by whatever their uh their whatever their you know their profession is they're consumed by whatever their passion is and uh, i think there's a big difference between being committed to it and being consumed by it do you have enough days left before spring practice for you to feel comfortable or would you just assume practice starts tomorrow uh no i think i i, I feel comfortable i think there's obviously there's gonna be things we're gonna go through first spring and and you know it's getting all the coach it's uh, us as coaches get on the same page you know what i mean and there's gonna be a little bit of obviously now and then spring ball it's not gonna happen and we gotta just be hey let's be open to that and it's gonna happen and we're gonna talk it out and we're gonna get it communicated and let's move on and as long as our players like us as long as our players don't feel that then we're good you know what i mean us being on the wrong page yeah we'll, we'll get it communicated we'll get it we'll get it fixed just to make sure players don't feel the outcome of that i was gonna say let's finish on that i'd more like to say let's hit pause and pick this conversation up after you get through the spring practice what do you say oh it sounds great looking forward to it My next guest on this week's episode is Deputy Athletic Director Linda Teeler, and she's here because coming up on the 27th of this month is the 10th anniversary of the Stay in the Game event. And it's such a fascinating topic that's been rattling around a lot for me personally in the last several weeks and talking to gymnastics and other women's sports at Florida, this conversation of how do we get our athletes to quote-unquote, stay in the game more. And sure enough, 
here it is. We're celebrating 10 years of this event, Linda. And can you believe it's been 10 years since you and Becky Burley sat down and said, we need to have some kind of a something to see if we can't encourage, enable, and um, expose these young women to maybe a career in sports in some form or fashion. It has been quite a 10 years. So um, this really came up. Becky and I attended a conference, and um, the goal there was really trying to encourage women to stay in athletics. They, um, they're pursuing something that they love while they're in school. Can we help them connect with a career outside of that? And so, you know, the first year we just invited some of our friends in the industry. Um, women just gave of their time generously. There was no compensation. We put them up in a hotel. Um, but other than that, these uh, women from across the country came, gave their time and spent an evening with our female student athletes. And it has grown and evolved over time. There, we have a lot of repeat attendees from a presenter panelist standpoint point women who just love being around student athletes and um, it's just it is one of really the best things that we do in terms of athlete value and them walking away feeling like their time was well spent the reporter in me wants to ask you why why did you and Becky feel there was this much of a need to do something like this yeah you know so we um, spent a lot of time talking about the lack of head coaches, head female coaches in women's sports and certainly in, in men's sports, the lack of women um, in leadership roles throughout athletic departments. And so, you know, we have these women on our campus who clearly love sport. So is there a way to just have them think about um, doing this after they graduate? But there's, uh, we're still trying to make some progress there, but there's a lot of room for growth um, in having women represented throughout athletic departments on the coaching and administrative side um, across the country. But this could also be broadcasting, accounting, roster management. There's a whole litany of jobs uh, that are perfectly suited to these young women. Yeah, and that's really what we try to do is any uh, occupation that's even remotely connected to sport, we have folks come. So we have um, Beverly Frank, for example, who is an architect. She helped design uh, the Hawkins Center. We have sports medicine folks, broadcasting, lots. We have a great representation from ESPN. We have folks from Fanatics who do equipment and apparel. So really, um, a broad range and if it's even remotely connected to sport uh, we invite women to come and spend the evening with our athletes. Linda how many of our let's just take Florida for example how many of our female student athletes um, desire a career in sports do they come with that purpose in mind or have you changed minds over the years with regard to what they'll do post playing career? You know, I think many come in um, with understanding that perhaps if they wanted to pursue a career in sport, they're limited to maybe coaching, perhaps college administration, and that's really the extent of it. So the idea is to expose them to all these different areas that are possible. And also for women that come to our event, our student athletes, and they already know what they want to do and has nothing connected to sport, you know, everyone's going to have a first job. Everyone's going to have to interview. Everyone's going to have to transition from being a student athlete to a professional. And so um, whether you are particularly interested in the career that the professional woman is talking about, um, you, you're going to learn something about um, how to uh, get started, how to advance, how to persist, how to succeed. So it's really, um, it's a special event for all of our female student athletes, whether or not they actually want to stay in the game or not. Uh, but for those who um, hadn't thought about it, our idea is really just, here's some women who are doing something that you might find interesting, get to know them. You and I are of similar age uh, in that we both can 
kind of came into a sports career around the same time. It's interesting for me now that when I'm approached by young people that I have advice for them, but some of mine is very outdated. It's completely different now than it was then. Is it the same for women in sports? And I'm hoping it's for the better. It, it is for the better. And, um, and we really do try to get this broad range. Like, so for example, we have um, a woman, she's an entrepreneur that works in the NIL space. I mean, who you and I could not have fathomed that, right? In uh, even five years ago. So um, trying to um, have new and different sort of opportunities and careers. And, and it is very different. Again, we have a, a big social media presence, which that wasn't an avenue um, for women to enter, anyone really to enter college athletics in the past. And so um, it has evolved over time and the advice has changed. You know, it used to be go do an internship, work for free, try, you know, now, um, you know, it's use LinkedIn and, um, you know, do these micro internships. And so the, the advice is different. Um, the women come with a lot of different perspectives about how to do things um, present day to get started and to advance. Is there still a glass ceiling, Linda, for women? If so, where is it now? Um, yes. And, uh, you know, so I think it, when you talk about the number of women that are coaching male teams, um, I think we can still count that on a hand, maybe a hand and a half to be generous. Um, you know, women leading um, autonomy five um, athletic departments. There's a very, you know, select group that um, are doing that currently. Um, women that are commissioners of conferences. We just had um, a woman that was named as the commissioner of the PAC-12 um, just now, right? So there's certainly a glass ceiling. We are making progress. I think um, the issue now no longer, the issue used to be that there wasn't a pool. I think that um, that no longer is the case. So now it's decision makers um, opting to consider people that maybe um, don't look or sound or, or represent um, something that they've had in the past. But um, there's definitely a pool. Um, and so I'm, I'm encouraged, but there's a long way to go. Linda Teeler with us here. Who pays the bill for this event, Linda? So we have some really generous um, donors. Lou and Rosemary Oberndorf have committed to funding this event. They've done it now for two or three years. They've committed for five years um, in the future. And so this is really a completely, um, it, it's philanthropy on their part, but they're, they're seriously committed to female student athletes. And then, as I said, the, the women that come to our event, they pay their way or their company does um, to attend. And so this is really um, a lot of generosity and giving that goes into this event. So let's go to February 27th. It's the day of the event. What does the event entail this year? Yep. So this year, um, we have a few special guests. Um, our student athletes always love when Laura Rutledge joins us. So Laura will be there. Um, and we have um, some representatives from the NFLPA, um, the Jacksonville Jaguars. We have women from Fanatics and Nike and um, ESPN all over the, all over the map. So um, our athletes come, they'll have a really nice meal. And then um, they'll have these roundtable discussions with our uh, professional women and then there'll be an opportunity for athletes to just go and have one-on-one -on -one conversations with any woman that said something that resonated with them or that they didn't get a chance to visit with and so there's about an hour of just free time where connections are made and we'll have a lot of athletes come back and they'll say I sent you know I had an 
uh, email exchange with one of the panelists. Someone recommended, you know, this internship opportunity. So there's a lot of connections made. And then um, the panelists, um, after the student athletes leave, we get together and just enjoy each other's company, get to know other women in the business um, from all over the country. And so it's, it's great for the athletes. It's great for the panelists. Just like you guys did it on the first one 10 years ago, right? Or no? Has it changed a little bit? It, you know, the format has changed. We've, we've refined things because what we've come to learn is um, that athletes like the opportunity to just um, have those one-on-one conversations. We're a little bit more structured going in. But some of the concepts are the same. Again, women giving of their time and um, finding their way to Gainesville to spend the evening with our athletes. Our athletes really um, taking that time, using the using it to their advantage, um, you know, putting down their phones, um, really focusing on, you know, what would come next for them in terms of a career. So the fundamentals are still there. Uh, we've just maybe refined things a little bit in terms of the timing and the pace. Whether we like it or not, a big part of our world is wins and losses. Define for me some wins over the last 10 years for stay in the game. You know, um, I'll say we have, um, like, I'll, I'll use Francesca Nea as a really good example. So Francesca was a student athlete here on our softball team. Um, you know, she left, she pursued a career in broadcasting and she called some of our softball games and she worked um, in television and radio and softball. And I think some of those connections were made at stay in the game. There's, and there are people that will return this year that Francesca has known and met in that um, space that have been helpful to her. So um, again, whether it's the direct connect with here's a career path that someone actually pursued or just someone that walked away with really good advice about how to get started and how to stay um, sort of advance and stay in the game, um, then for us, that's success. There may be somebody who hears this visit on this podcast and say, wish we had this at our place or wish there was something more nationwide like this. Is there, do you have a dream of maybe having something grow out of just this stay in the game event at the University of Florida? So I um, intentionally don't share our secret sauce with anybody because this is a special benefit, you know, for our athletes that come here at Florida. Everyone is, is welcome to start their own program, but, um, you know, this was homegrown and uh, and we protect it in, in that way. So I hope that across the country really more um, schools, conferences, organizations really do focus on um, exposing women to careers in athletics. I'm just not willing to share our recipe. Fair enough. Cheers to 10 years and have a great uh, stay in the game here for 2024. Thanks, Linda. Awesome. Thank you. Time now for another Ask the AD with Director of Athletics, Scott Strickland. Great to be with you again, Scott. I have a feeling as we've watched these submissions come in that for the foreseeable future, we're going to get lots of questions for you regarding what would be the possible renovation of the Swamp, Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. There are a lot of opinions as I've sorted through these, and they're all over the map. But, you know, a lot of them seem to focus in a little bit on seating capacity and resources, those kinds of things. What's the latest that you can share with our fans regarding some of those questions amongst the varied opinions? Well, number one, Sean, thanks. Great to be with you again. And that is a topic that I probably get stopped and asked uh, every time I'm, I'm uh, out with Gator Nation and, and people who care about uh, UF. And, and I think there's a simple reason for that, which is the swamp is probably the most valuable uh, uh, facility 
not just for athletics, but maybe the whole campus at the University of Florida. It's an iconic venue, and it is a place that uh, has helped the Gators win a lot of football games and has also obviously produced a lot of memories for, for everyone who cares about this university. So it's a special place, and, and we, when you have something that uh, holds uh, – that people hold that dear, it's important that you do two things. Number one, that you don't do anything that's going to take away from what makes it special. But number two, that you continually invest in it to make sure that it's it it uh, continues to serve this university for generations to come. So uh, we have spent a lot of time studying what could happen at the swamp. And just to give a level set on, on where that process is right now is uh, we have hired an architect team, design team, uh, Crawford Associates out of, out of Kansas City, and Gensler, who has partnered with them, both two national firms that specialize in not just athletic facilities and stadiums, but in Crawford's case, in historic venues. Uh, and for instance, they did a lot of work at Lambeau Field, the home of the Green Bay Packers, which is the oldest stadium in the NFL. They've also had some work with, you know, we've also are working with some people who have helped with Dodger Stadium and Fenway Park and Wrigley Field. Um, you know, those are those are special iconic venues, much like the swamp, and we think we can learn a lot from from that work. Um, and we've also hired a construction manager, and we're working. We're just now starting the process of meeting with all the various user groups. So uh, our our football staff, um, the people who run all the the various services that affect our fans on game day. Uh, you know, concessions, uh, the facilities folks. Um, people from Gator Booster staff, um, so many others, to figure out what the true needs are. Because we all, I, I think every fan who walks in the, in the swamp on game day, yeah, it's great and it's, it's awesome and it's fun. But there's, there are things about it that can improve that experience that can be done, right, that, that aren't quite what, um, what here in 2020s that we expect from a, a game day experience. Parts of the swamp are almost 100 years old. And so it's important that we invest in that. Um, we're going to be really careful to do no harm, right? To make sure that whatever comes of this design, that uh, it, it, you know, keeps the unique special nature of the swamp. And to me, that's part of the, there's a lot of things that go into that. Certainly the, the proximity of the fans to the field. I think we have one of the tightest sidelines in college football. We don't want to lose that. We, we like that. I think that's a unique feature. Um, uh, the the steepness of the of the seating bowl, how you know fans are you, when you're on the field, you feel like the fans are right on top of you, and I think the fans feel that when they're in, st- in the stands. Um, the you know visually, the wing walls are such a unique feature, and you know are are something that I think should always be a part of Ben Hill Griffin Stadium in the swamp. Um, but as we go through this design process, we'll come up with thoughts and ideas and and things that could occur. Um, and once we complete that process, once we have a, a plan, um, then we got to figure out a lot of other things. And you mentioned resources. You know, how how is this going to be paid for? Um, what kind of timeline would that be on? Uh, and the Gator Nation is going to have a chance to weigh in at some point, right? We'll have we'll have uh, uh, focus groups with fans, and and we'll get their feedback. We'll do a market study to find out what's important to them. And um, so we're at a very early stage of the actual doing. We've done a lot of talking. We're 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 actually doing stuff now, but it's very early stages of of planning what that could be. And there'll be a lot more communication going out to Gator Nation before we take those next steps. Thanks for the update on that. It'll be a long climb to get to that that apex of this of this journey. And I'm I'm eager to have more updates from you as they develop. Thanks as always, Scott. Thank you, Sean. Go Gators.
We finish this episode with another edition of Kenna on Campus. Our student worker here at the UAA, Kenna McGinnis, is back with the latest batch of results from the fields, the courts, and the golf courses. Here's Kenna McGinnis. Thanks, Sean. We begin the recap with Gators Baseball, who had their opening series against St. John's this weekend cut short due to weather conditions. The season opener resulted in a loss on Friday, unfortunately in front of over 7,800 fans in Condren Ballpark. The Gators collected their first two wins of the season, sweeping the University of North Florida both home and home on Tuesday and Wednesday. Following their win on Friday against Georgia Southern and the cancellation of the Bubbly Invitational due to rain this weekend, Gators softball had their winning streak ended on Monday. The Gators lost to Oklahoma State 3-0 before bouncing back by defeating the University of North Florida 10-0 and 14-0 on Wednesday. Gators gymnastics came on top again last Friday, winning the Mizzou at the Lou Quad Meet. Number 6 Florida came in first, followed by number 14 Missouri in second, number 27 Illinois, and Lindenwood. To no surprise to us Gator fans, Florida's own Anya Pilgrim was named SEC Freshman of the Week for the second week in a row. The men's basketball team was away for both SEC matchups this week, bringing home a win on Saturday from Georgia, 88-82, and a disappointing overtime loss Wednesday to number 13 Alabama, 98-93. The women's basketball team also unfortunately lost on the road against Kentucky, 81-77. Led by Zippy Broughton and Aaliyah Matheru, the Gators fell short within the final minutes of the game. Gators Golf hosted their annual Gators Invitational this weekend and won by a 13-stroke margin. The victory is the fourth of the season and marks the 25th team title all-time under head coach J.C. Deacon in his 10th season. Nine Gators finished in the top 25, led by Ian Gilligan's solo third. Number eight women's golf tied for fifth with Texas A&M at the Moon Golf Invitational, led by Maisie Filler, who won her third tournament of the season. Gators lacrosse unfortunately suffered another loss this Saturday against number six, University of North Carolina, 19-10. The number 12 Gators now have a losing record of 0-2. Lastly, Gators Tennis was able to bring in a big win against UCF on Tuesday, beating the Knights 6-1. Head coach Adam Steinberg noted how important of a match this was when considering their quickly approaching SEC opponents. Noted as a big win before we play number 12 Texas A&M on March 1st, Steinberg stoked at the potential our team has to turn up the energy. I think we can do a lot more, to be honest. I, um, when we get our, when our backs against the wall, we do, we, we're great with it, but I still feel we, we did better today. We had a better start, for sure. Um, but I know they have more in them. I see them every day, and I know, you know, the passion and enthusiasm that they have, and, and, um, and we need that um, from everybody. But uh, it was definitely a step in the right direction, for sure. That's all for Kenna on Campus. I'm Kenna McGinnis. And that's a wrap on Gator Tales with Sean Kelly, episode number 23. Big thanks to our guests this week, Ron Roberts, Linda Teeler, Kenna McGinnis, and of course, Scott Strickland too. And thank you for making us a part of your week as well. Gator Nation, don't forget to support our sponsors, UF Health and Pet Paradise. Hit that subscribe button and be sure to leave a review if you don't mind. I'm Sean Kelly, and until next time, so long for just a while, and go Gators.